Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, hello, Contrast Church. What's up, Nathan? Dude, I love my wife so much. She is more than I deserve, that's for sure. Um, well, hey, uh, I'm really excited to be here, and um, I've had a few chances to uh, talk, but today's different because uh, today's, like Allison said, daylight savings, so um, I feel like I'm going to own it. Um, I feel like growing up as a kid, it was a bigger deal because, you know, we went to church on, it's always on Sundays, and like we would always go to church on Sunday mornings, so like my parents would like get the clocks all set, make sure that the kids were up. And nowadays, like with cell phones, it's not a huge deal because your phone like auto-populates the time. But we were driving to church, and our clock and our car did not change, and I had a, I freaked out a little bit. <laughs> like, oh crap, I'm going to be late. Uh, but we made it on time. Um, and also, I hope you guys had a good week off. We weren't here last week. So um, whether you were, you know, passing out candy or sneaking candy or at a party socializing, I hope that you had a great week off and that you were in the neighborhood being a good neighbor and being a, a good representation of Jesus in the community. So uh, tonight we are going to be continuing our way through Matthew's gospel. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 18, um, and as you flip there, uh, let's remember that in the previous verses that we've been studying these past few weeks and months, Matthew has put together a collection of stories where Jesus is displaying his miraculous power in healing the sick, he's been calming storms, and displaying his divine majesty to everyone around him. And tonight, we're going to be reading a story about his power over life and death. So, if you're there, go ahead and uh, start with me in verse 18. <clears throat> As he was saying these things, a leader came, bowed low before him, and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. But a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. For she kept saying to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. But when Jesus turned and saw her, he said, have courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed from that hour. When Jesus entered the leader's house and saw the flute players and the disorderly crowd, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but asleep. And they began making fun of him. But when the crowd had been forced outside, he went in and gently took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the news of this spread throughout that region. If you like to take notes, uh, we're going to start right off. Um, somewhere, whether it's in your Bible or in your notepad, uh, you should definitely mark Mark chapter 5, uh, and Luke chapter 8. 
uh, because this story about Jesus is mentioned in all three of the Gospels. Uh, but ironically, um, out of the three, Matthew's account of this story is the most brief. He doesn't go into as much details as the other Gospels, but if you combine the details from all three accounts, we get an even better understanding of this awesome story. So we're going to start off by just reviewing and recapping the verses that we read, because tonight's verses are broken up into three parts. The first part is Jesus at dinner with his disciples. And if you think back to two weeks when Trey was teaching, you'll remember that there was not just Jesus and his disciples, but there were tax collectors there, there were sinners, and Pharisees. The Pharisees were mostly there just to judge and mock Jesus and ask him all these questions. But in the middle of this dinner, of this feast, one Pharisee asked Jesus to come with him and help his daughter. So that's the first part. The second part is this encounter with this woman on the way to the Pharisee's house. And there's this very interesting and very powerful story that's sandwiched in between Jesus being asked to go to the house and Jesus arriving at the house. And then the third part of the story is Jesus arriving at the house and raising the daughter to life. So with all that in mind, we're going to go back to part one and start. So in Matthew's account, uh, he starts by saying, Jesus was saying these things, and the leader came and bowed before him. In Mark and Luke's Gospels, he fills in the gaps and tells us that this leader who approached him was a ruler of the synagogue. His name was Jairus. And Jairus was a man of extremely high station in the Jewish community. As a Pharisee, he also would have been the most resistant to Jesus and the most hostile towards his ministry. But Jairus is desperate. His daughter has just died, and so he comes and he says, and it says that he falls at the feet of Jesus and worships him. He doesn't seem to be embarrassed about being seen with Jesus because his need for what Jesus can do overcomes his pride. And he says to Jesus, please, Lord, come lay your hand on her and she will live. Now, there are two aspects of this that I find interesting. Uh, they'll be on the screen behind me if you want to write them down. The first is this. This Pharisee, Jairus, is willing to look like a fool in front of all of his colleagues and be rejected by them because he knows that Jesus has what he needs. The second thing that I find interesting about this is that Jesus knows who Jairus is. And Jesus is aware that the Pharisees are the ones who will persecute him, beat him, and eventually they're the ones who are going to turn him over to the Romans for crucifixion. Jesus is, I think, Jesus is showing his disciples that it doesn't matter if you're a tax collector, a leper, or a Pharisee. He loves you, and he will answer your call if you're willing to humble yourself and recognize who he is. And it says, Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. So that's the end of part one. Um, so we're going to jump into uh, part two of the story. It says, so Jesus, began, Jesus arose and began to go with Jairus to his home in order to raise his daughter from the dead. 
And instantly, as the crowds around him had heard this request, they arose and went with Jesus along with his disciples. So now we see that Jesus is on his way to the home of Jairus with this huge crowd, just people surrounding him, pushing up against him, jostling him. In my mind, I envision sort of like a mosh pit, like just walking down the street. Or you can envision like a BMV on a Monday at like 9 o'clock. It's just like there's so many people and like there's so much chaotic things going on. Um, But we read that while he's en route to the home of Jairus, suddenly Jesus stops in the midst of the crowd and he says, who touched me? And if we ever see an incident where the disciples are annoyed with Jesus, it's here. They're like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean who touched you? Everyone touched you. We're in a crowd full of people. But Jesus ignores their protests and simply said, somebody touched me because I felt the power go from me. How did Jesus know that someone had touched him? Well, he answered it by saying, I felt power leave me. And even in this little incident, it tells us something about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus wasn't some magician who was performing certain public feats, but when the healing power of the Messiah went from his person, he was aware of it. Well, the person who had touched him was this woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. And while her condition wasn't life-threatening, it completely ruined any chance of her having a normal or even good existence. I imagine that she was weak. She was probably extremely anemic. For those of you who don't know, anemia is a condition in which you lack enough healthy red blood cells to carry adequate oxygen to the rest of your body. And as a result, you're chronically tired and exhausted and weak all the time. It's probably to a safe, safe to assume that this woman was malnourished because not only is she losing a lot of blood, but something like this would have made you a social outcast, which leaves you on the street with the beggars. So there are these, there's these physical things that we're thinking about, but part of what made her hemorrhage so difficult in its chronic state was that because of it, she had been rendered ceremoniously unclean, and for 12 years, she had been prevented from being actively involved in the religious life of the community because just being around her would have had been to experience defilement because of her condition. And what's ironic is that this woman's malady lasted for 12 years, and the age of Jairus' daughter was 12 years. This woman had suffered from her malady the entire time that this little girl had been alive. And I think it's important, I want to take a second and read the corresponding verses from Mark and Luke, because they fill in some of the details about this woman. Um, And I'm going to have these on the screen behind me. Uh, We're going to read Mark chapter 5, verse 26. It says, she had encountered, she, I'm sorry, she had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here we see not only is this woman suffering from a medical condition which has ruined her life, but she has has spent her entire life savings on medical expenses and doctors 
and yet is still sick and is not getting any better. When I was reading this, I, I was sort of reflecting, because there are people that I talk to regularly at my job working for the James Cancer Center who would be able to relate to this woman and understand her pain. And truthfully, there are people all across the world who know what it's like to be sick, to be poor, and to have no hope. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who can relate to this, whether it's you personally or if you have family members or friends who have gone through long stents of being in the hospital, battling illness, or what have you. It's something that is extremely relatable. In Luke's gospel, after the woman reaches out and takes Jesus' garment and is healed, he writes, again, it'll be on the screen behind me, when the woman saw that she could not escape notice, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she explained why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman had no demands. Jesus, you don't have to do anything. You don't even have to stop. You don't even have to talk to me. I just want to touch you. And when she did, she was shocked that he stopped. And he took notice of her. When was the last time that someone had given her that kind of attention? That Jesus was on his way to raise someone from the dead, but he wasn't so preoccupied with that mission that he didn't have time for this woman. Jesus said, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. And in that instance, she was healed. And Jesus not only healed her, but then he pronounced his benediction upon her so that when she left from that place, Everyone there would know that this woman was good. She had been healed by Jesus, and they weren't going to continue. They didn't have the place to look at her and say, you're still unclean, you're still this or that. He gave her not only healing in the moment, but security after he left. And I think we can learn something about this story, and it's funny because it's just like an aside. You know, Jesus was on the way to the house, and this happened, but write it down if you take notes. Jesus is never too busy for us. He doesn't have a gatekeeper. Our Father in heaven knows the number of hairs on our head. And it's always amazed me about the omniscience of God that he can have a complete and comprehensive knowledge about every creature in the world. He knows every worry that weighs you down, every pain that you've experienced. He knows it before you tell him. God is spinning galaxies, and yet he still knows you. He cares about you, and he listens to your prayers. I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, who am I that I should ever have the ear of God Almighty? Who am I that he should have a moment's concern about my well-being? King David said in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And yet God is so mindful that he hears every cry and knows every pain. And what's displayed here in this ministry, in the ministry of his son Jesus, 
is that in the midst of this mosh pit surrounding him, he stopped for a woman who on paper, her need wasn't anything compared to the need of Jairus' daughter, and she was, she was dead. But it mattered to her, and so it mattered to Jesus. And before we move on with this part of the story, I just want to ask the question, how do you respond when you're interrupted? When you're on your way to do something, how available are you to distractions and disruptions? If someone were to call my name, tap me on the shoulder, or even just hold out a sign asking for help, do I even take a moment and notice them? I think Jesus is honored when we are willing to be distracted and look around to see those who are in need around us. So let's go ahead and go with Jesus to the house of Jairus, which is the third and final part for tonight's message. It says, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and he saw the flute players and noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Now notice, as soon as Jesus arrives at the house of Jairus, he's already accompanied by a huge crowd of people. And now he's walking into a situation where there's a whole nother crowd of people who are making all kinds of noise with flutes and wailing. Uh, which, this gives us a clue to the custom, one of the customs that was frequent to the people of Israel in that day. When someone dies, the grief and mourning that went along with it was supposed to be something that was private, or was supposed to be public, not private. In fact, one of the customs was that even the poorest Jewish person who had a death in the family would have to hire at least two flute players and one professional wailer. Which <laughs> I found kind of funny. Um, could you imagine getting paid or paying someone to wail? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how do you get into that kind of field? Do you like audition? It's like American Idol, you know, you go up there and... Way, you know, and they're like, ah, no. I don't know. Anyways, is there like a Craigslist for whalers? Anyways. Um, but you wonder, uh, how did such a custom emerge in this culture? Well, it was to guarantee that nobody ever grieved alone. It was to communicate to the people of God in every generation that we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And since Jairus was a Pharisee, he was a man of wealth, he didn't have two flute players. He had a whole orchestra of flutes and a whole choir full of people wailing and mourning. And I just imagine like walking into that house and hearing that noise. It's like the worst concert you could possibly go to. But Jesus just walks in the middle of this scene and just interrupts this public scene of grief. And he tells people, make room, let me through. This girl's not dead, but merely sleeping. And you'll read, they mock Jesus. They're like, where have you been, Jesus? She's dead. Can't you hear the, flu the flutes and the mourners? Are you crazy, Jesus? But Jesus knows something that no one else there knows. Her death is not final. He's going to wake her up. 
So in the midst of their mockery, after the crowd was kept out of the house, eventually just the disciples were like bouncers getting everyone out of there. They're put outside. He went in and he took this little girl by the hand and says she arose. Can you imagine Jairus when he watched Jesus go in and take the hand of his daughter and watch her get up, her little eyes open? Jesus did that. He did it for Jairus and he did it for his daughter. And Jesus will give you life too if you've put your faith in him. Because Jesus has not only power over the storms, not only over the demons, not only over paralysis and sickness, Jesus has power and authority over death. The scripture says that he is the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's the one who has keys to life and death, and he's defeated death. And so that the thing that we fear most as humans has lost its bitter sting because he is the resurrection. He is the life. And the life had left the soul of that girl until Jesus touched her. We have two touches in this story. The woman who touches Jesus and when Jesus touched the daughter. The life that had gone out from her returned and she got up And I'm sure that when she got up, Jairus went down on his knees and worshiped. In closing, I I want us to remember that this is the same Jesus that we just sang a song about. This is the Jesus that we worship every week. This whole thing that we do is about Jesus. The one who comes, who came to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves the one who has power over death itself. And when Jesus touches your life, you will come alive and you will be healed as well. I just, the story is so powerful. So as we go throughout this week, I just want us to meditate and think about this story and just think about, in light of it, how should we be acting differently? How do we interact with people when we're distracted? And what does our relationship to the God Almighty mean um, in light of these events? So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for who you are. God, you are incredible. You are undescribable, and you love us. God, I pray this week, even for the rest of the service, that we are able to just focus on who you are and what you've done for us. God, that the distractions that we came in here with would have just melted away and that we can just connect with you. And God, if we have business that we need to do with you, I pray that we do it tonight. Because these things are a matter of life and death. God, you are amazing, and we thank you for who you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.